Hi, this is Amanda. And this is Lindsay. We're True Creeps. Where the stories are true. And the creeps are real. We'll cover stories from grotesque gore. To the possibly plausible paranormal. To horrifying history. To tense and terrible true crime. And everything else that goes bump in the night. We want you to join us while we creep. We cover mature topics. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, everyone. Today, we are going to be talking about some updates in the Daniel Robinson case. And it's getting a lot more interesting in the fact that I'm having so many more questions with everything that's coming up. Yeah. Every time we get a new piece of information, I don't feel like we're getting a more complex story. We're getting more questions. Right. And I think it was necessary to do a whole episode on Daniel Robinson's case because unfortunately, the media isn't covering it as much as some other cases that have happened. And I feel like we'll do it then. The more people that hear about this, the more outraged we can all be together. I want every damn person to know his name. (laughs) I 100% agree. And then also, if we could get the information out to everyone in Arizona, perhaps you have a weekend open on a Saturday that you'd want to help his father do one of these searches. Yeah. And if so, real quick, it's pleasehelpfinddaniel.com if you want to sign up to do that. Yeah. Also, before we get started, I just wanted to note my voice is still a little funky. So here and there, I may sound congested, but let's get started. We just passed Daniel Robinson's 25th birthday, which I mean, it's heartbreaking to have somebody missing. But like when you get to like holidays and birthdays, it feels worse. Unfortunately, he's still missing. Because this is our only standalone episode that we've done on Daniel so far, let's just do a little bit of a recap into his case. On June 23rd of 2021, he left his job site in the desert area west of Sun Valley Parkway in Buckeye, Arizona, and he wasn't seen again. A lot going on in Arizona. Arizona's busy. Too busy. You should come to Maryland. So Daniel was last seen leaving a job site, as we mentioned. When he left, he didn't say where he was going or why he was leaving. On June 23rd, his family filed a missing persons report, and they later created a website called Please Help Find Daniel. So over the past couple of months, there have been CNN interview, a press conference, and the police report was released. And we've learned a lot about Daniel leading up to his disappearance, as well as the scene of the incident, the evidence, what his car looked like. And so we got everything from a mixture of those sources. So we've just kind of packaged it together in a way that was the most easy to digest. So one thing I want to bring up that I found very interesting and also very scary in a sense. Uh, I'd also use the word scuzzy. Scuzzy is a good one. Yeah, yeah. Arizona Family did a story on Buckeye Police Department. And the story was on how they had been altering crime statistics to make the city look safer. Fuck off. Right. And so these are the people that are in charge of this investigation. Great. And like you said, they seem pretty scuzzy. So it included a report of Larry Hall that said that he took an inappropriate picture of a car crash victim, not for any law enforcement purpose, but just so he can share it. Blink, blink, blink. That's happening, you know, in their department. That's the chief of police. Yes, yes. So there's a few people involved in like the statistic altering. And then just like they obviously reviewed a couple things that they were doing that they shouldn't have been doing. Well, they said that Chief Hall had a 40 hour suspension in November. 
So this is also while Daniel's missing. And then Sergeant Vergadamo told someone that he had changed the report codes so that his home value didn't go down. Because obviously, that's something that's taken into consideration. And right now, Arizona's housing market is like booming. So he's like, "Mm, not gonna let that slip. You know what you could do? You could work to help reduce crime. Exactly. That's probably a way of doing that. Why aren't you doing your job? But anyway, so he resigned. And it's just, these are the people, and now I kind of understand where Daniel's dad is coming from in certain senses. Like, these are the people that have been tasked with finding his son. And in the background, this is the shit that they're doing. Yeah, like, this is just further proof that they they don't have their eye on the prize of finding people. They're trying to close cases and not have people bother them. Exactly. I mean, it's going to be easier for them to just say, yep, Daniel disappeared. He left. Like he he didn't want to be part of his family anymore or whatever they want to say. Right. And then as one does when they run away in a different state. Sorry. Right. But if they're like, oh, someone murdered this person or kidnapped or whatever they may have done to him, then that is a crime statistic that's against them, too. But if it's, oh, someone just left, that's not really a crime statistic, right? So a few things were discovered these last couple months. And then also a 54-page police report was something that we reviewed as well to get some of this data. So David, who's Daniel's father, is very open to what is going on in the search for Daniel. There are websites. He is very active on social media. Something that I learned is when Daniel was reported missing, he tried to report him missing a couple hours before, and he was told that the person that was missing had to be missing for 12 hours before the report could be taken. That's wild to me. That's just like literal insanity. Yeah. So he had to wait an additional three hours before he could officially report Daniel as missing. Something else that David discussed in his last press conference was how Daniel was acting leading up to his disappearance. And we've mentioned it before that some of his co-workers mentioned that he was acting strange before he left that job site. Because of that information, David's private investigator, Jeff McGrath, theorizes that law enforcement was quick to believe that he might have left on his own volition and not that something happened to him. So from what we learned, in some senses, Daniel was acting strange for a little longer than the day that he disappeared, right? There's a few interactions that happened with his sister, friends, co-workers, things like that, that were like, huh, what's going on? And we're going to dive into a few of those two today. And some of them weren't that weird, though. That was the thing, is that, like, I feel like it evened out, and what you kind of hear about is the ones that are really strange, right? Because also, like, think about it, right? Like, somebody's like, so-and-so went missing. You're going to point out, like, the day a week ago when he, they were acting super bizarre, not the other six days when they were acting normal. That's true. So something that David had brought up is there is a person that was a federal employee or a member of law enforcement, is what McGrath had mentioned, that noted that he spoke with Daniel that day that he disappeared. We haven't seen this in the police report, though, I want to point out. I don't know who they're talking about, but this individual has spoken to David, it sounds like, and to the PI, yet the police haven't spoken to this person, even though he is a federal employee. Very weird to me. He said that the day that Daniel disappeared, he saw Daniel in his Jeep and it appeared like new. So it hadn't gotten any accidents or anything hadn't happened. As David spoke to this individual, the individual said that Daniel didn't seem like he was in any sort of distress. He was super polite. They had a conversation about where to go for target practice. And Daniel had mentioned something like, well, I work in this area, so this area is probably not a good area 
to do target practice, which fair, like a lot of our desert is very open. People go out there to do all kinds of stuff. So they'll bring different targets. They'll bring cans. They'll bring whatever to shoot. And it's pretty common that people do it. So like I could see this person going, oh, you're in this area. You know this area. Where's a good place? Right? Yeah, for sure. Just interesting that someone considered a federal employee and or law enforcement isn't included in anything I could find in police records. And so this also was interesting from what David said is because it could potentially change the timeline of events a little bit, depending on when Daniel specifically disappeared. Was he technically gone already when he talked to this person, according to his work? Or was this like between his job sites? We don't know. Yeah, I think that is what's confusing when because it's not included in. So in the weeks leading up to his disappearance, Daniel told his father that he had met a woman and was in love with her. And we're going to we're going to talk a little bit more about her. But David found this strange because he didn't know this woman and had never heard of her. So it would be strange to be like, I met her. I'm in love versus like, oh, I like met a girl. I really like her. And like they've been on some dates and then he's in love. He's just like, we're, I'm in love with her. Right. And Daniel didn't seem to know a lot about her. It sounded like, at least how I gathered when David's talking about this, is like, he should have known more to tell me about this woman that he's all of a sudden in love with. Yeah, that's a red flag. So he told officers again that he hadn't met her, but he knew that her name was Caitlin and he had been able to locate her via Instagram. Just as a side note... Amanda and I tried to locate this Caitlyn via Instagram, and we have some theories on who she is, but we're not 100% sure. We have mentioned this before, but David had told officers that Daniel had been acting odd before that, and that his love for this woman was part of the oddness. So coworkers and friends of Daniel also heard him talk about this woman that he met but couldn't have. And before we get into Caitlyn, I want to talk about Roger. Well, that and just we're going to touch on it in a bit. But David's talking about a person, right? This woman, Mm -hmm. Caitlin. Other people are saying that he's mentioned a woman. Lindsay and I are wondering if there isn't just one woman and that there might have been more like another person. Yes, yes. So officers interviewed Roger on the advice of the PI McGrath. And McGrath noted that one of Daniel's co-workers, Roger had an oh shit expression and turned pale when Jeff said he wanted to talk to him more when he was at one of the searches. And then the rest of the search, Roger avoided McGrath. And so Roger had asked Daniel's sister about Roger. And she was like, oh, like they're friends. Like, I think they lived together at one point. And so, of course, they then (laughs) interviewed Roger. They found that he was one of Daniel's like first friends in Arizona, it seemed like, and that he lived with Roger for a period of time, Roger and his girlfriend. And that they seem pretty close and close enough where in the days leading up to his disappearance, Roger noticed a very big shift in his personality. So per Roger, Daniel and he went to breakfast two days in a row leading up to the disappearance. And in addition to ordering different food, he just spoke differently. So during the conversation, Daniel spoke kind of cryptically about religion, which was kind of strange, too. Daniel told him about a woman who he wanted and then said, but she didn't know that he existed. And so tuck that in your brain, that this woman doesn't know that he exists. In the same conversation, he told Roger that in order to, like, get the girl, if you will, he said, well, I have to get rid of my story. Weird. Bizarre. Also tuck that particular phrasing in there, right? So Daniel asked Roger if he believed in miracles. Don't like that. And then Roger noted that Daniel that day and days after seemed different than he usually did. Multiple times in the interview, 
it seemed as though he was like, he was not himself. Right. And Roger worked at the office while Daniel was normally in the field, right? Yeah. And he came into the office a few times, which was particularly bizarre. They even mentioned that he brought a box home, which I was like, what was he bringing home? Right. And then also the fact that they've lived together. They're pretty good friends, right? And each time that Daniel randomly went in the office days leading up to him disappearing, they had this breakfast and then he wouldn't say bye. Like he didn't say anything. He just disappears after and leaves. And Roger notices him leave. Yeah. So just really weird. It's not an interaction that you would have with a friend, I would say, right? Like, especially one that close. Yeah. Yeah. I very much got the vibe that when Daniel was talking to Roger about the woman that he had intense feelings for, he never said her name. And it didn't seem like he identified anything like, here's how I know her or this or that. And that seems bizarre to me because the way in which he meets Caitlin is kind of unique. To me, it's unique. Yeah, it's unique. If it was her, he would have mentioned it. And the fact that he's like not saying her name seems strange to me. For sure. Like that they're this close, but he doesn't have details about who this woman is. Right. And the fact that it was hard to get information out of a friend. Yeah. If you're acting weird, I'd be like, Lindsay, what's going on? Who are you talking about? Also, if you're like heartbroken, right? Like you get a little bit loose with the the facts, you know, if you're like with a close friend and heartbroken. Yes. So let's talk about this Caitlin person. So this is the person that David told authorities that he was able to find the Instagram account that he thought this is the girl that Daniel was in love with. Yeah. So how they met is Daniel was a delivery person for Instacart. And she had made an order and he was the person delivering her order. Anyways, when he went to deliver the order, she had a friend over and her and her friend invited him to hang out with them. So they were all drinking. And at one point when she's talking to authorities, she's like, I probably shouldn't have offered a random stranger to come into my home. Probably not. But he looked harmless because he only had one arm and he was short. Disrespectful as hell. Right? Disrespectful. What a rude thing to say. I feel like it's just they called her and they're like, um, how did you know him? Do you know where he is? And she's like, I don't know where he is. Here's how we met. Here's what happened. And I haven't talked to him since. I feel like you would have to have a little bit of like, I probably shouldn't have done that to not seem like involved. Right? Like, that's true. Because otherwise you're like, you let a stranger into your house. Right. What are you doing? You're telling me a stranger that you let a stranger in? Like, what are you doing? Right. You're in Arizona. We're not going to investigate this. You can't be doing this. (laughs) That's exactly what they mean. Yeah, it probably is. So in the days after they met, Daniel had a very interesting conversation via text with her. And this is something that a lot of people are speculating about is like her involvement. So just for everyone to understand what happened with them, we figured we'd just read the text. Yeah, I'm going to be Daniel and we're going to do our best to not add any inflection that isn't there. This is not a dramatic reading. Right. So remember, he delivers something to them. They hang out. They drink. She does mention to the authorities, too, when she's interviewed, that she wanted to send him a podcast that they were discussing that night. So the reason I bring that up is because the first text starts June 13th at 2.29 a.m. Caitlin sends the link to an Apple podcast. We can't see which one it is. It's clearly us. Clearly. From here on out, we'll just say the day and what they said. Amanda's Caitlin. I am Daniel. Same day. Immediately after that. Hey, and then the next day at 719, 
Hey, I accidentally left my canopy outside your house. Is it still there? If so, is it okay if I pick it up? Also, the podcast was great. So the next day, June 15th at 1.37 p.m. Yes, you can pick it up whenever. Okay, same day. That night, though, around 8.30, he says, thanks. How do I get there again? I can come now or tomorrow afternoon to grab it. Next day at 2.06 p.m. Hi, I just saw you on the camera. I'm in Flagstaff and I'll be home later tonight. If you want, I can put it out front by the chairs before I head out for work tomorrow morning? Question mark. That afternoon at 3.12, red heart emoji. I'm sorry. The next day, June 17th at 6.39 p.m., please stop showing up unannounced. Okay, I won't ever again. Thanks, and I'm looking right now and I don't see the canopy in the garage. Don't worry about, I already have it. I'm confused. I did grab it yesterday. I just want to tell you I'm sorry for disappearing the other day. And then there's a sad face emoji. I couldn't stop thinking about you. Two days later, he says, can we hang out? A little bit later after that at 1.48 p.m., I'm not home. Then, okay. The next day at 12.14 a.m., he says, I love you. And then about seven hours later, he says, are you home today? That morning at 9.36, honestly... You showing up at my house unannounced made me extremely uncomfortable. I will not be home today, but I don't see us hanging out anytime soon. Okay, but do you have any doubt? Either way, I have to be okay with your answer. And then Monday at 11.44 a.m., how are you feeling? And then at 3.46 p.m., I'm outside of your place. A bunch of question marks. Please stop doing that. I'm not even home. This is not okay. I guess it's not. Not you guess. I've told you it's not okay and to not come to my house unannounced. Are you okay with me? No, this isn't normal nor acceptable. What is normal? Making plans before showing up at someone's home. And if someone has expressed that you've made them uncomfortable, you need to back off. Do you hate me? I don't hate you, but please leave me alone. You're right. So then the next day, which is Tuesday, the day before he disappeared, at 3.07, the world can get better but I'll have to take all the time I or we can, whatever to name it. I'll either see you again or never see you again. And that's it. Very weird text conversation. It starts out, I think, fine, right? Like he's like, hey, I forgot something there. And then she says, okay, come anytime to get it. And then him showing up, I'm like, you didn't set a time, but also she said anytime, sure. Yeah, like I felt like that was fine. Yeah, then showing up multiple times is like a little weird. The thing is, I wonder what actually happened that night, because it seems like for him to fall this hard for someone that fast, like it's already weird, right? But like, was it they sat in the living room, drank a few beers or whatever they drank, and then he left? Was there more? Was there like what happened that night? Well, and one of the things we found out was that T-Mobile did provide his like cell phone records and his texts. And the only thing that, that I think that was pertinent to his disappearance or like where he was leading up to that is that he told a friend that he hooked up with one of the girls that was at the place where he made the delivery. So hooked up in whatever sense. But here's my thing, right? So we get we're on the 15th and it's like, I can come over to grab it. And then so the next day she says, I saw you on the camera. So he goes there at night. Right. And then she's like, I'll put it outside. You can grab it tomorrow. Right. And then he sends her a heart and says, I'm sorry. So what happened then? I'm less interested about what happened that first night they were together because that sounds like they saw each other. Because why is he sorry? Yeah, that or maybe for the heart, maybe. Maybe like for sending the heart and he's like, I'm sorry, I don't mean like anything by it. Yeah, but she says, please stop showing up unannounced is when she says that. So he says, she's like, I'm going to be home tonight. If you want, I can put it out front by the chairs before I head out to work tomorrow morning, right? And so that afternoon... 
he says, I'm sorry. Well, on June 16th at three, he sent the heart and then she didn't respond. So I'm wondering if he's like, oh, maybe I overstepped. Sorry, because that, that's seven hours later that he says, I'm sorry. Oh, like when he went to go get. Yeah. Yeah. When she does respond to that, she says, please stop showing up unannounced. So, so I'm like, did he show up then? Is she talking about another time? Because what it really seems like to me is that we're seeing part of this. I agree that this is like an inappropriate thing. And that like you do not show up to someone's house unannounced. Right. Like, just don't do it. But also, like, this doesn't seem like a clear picture of what happened to make him fall in love with her. Like, I feel like there was some type of in-person interaction, whether it was the first night or the next time he goes to see her. Perhaps, yeah. Also, just to note, there's nothing else in the police report that says that they would have met or done anything in between that time. She pretty much just says, like, hey, like, he showed up a few times. I got uncomfortable. And then I, th- I want to say she screenshotted the text and sent it to the detective. And then they confirmed these texts when they went through his phone records. I want to say that I read somewhere in there too that it was in this trash folder. So I don't know if that meant like over and done with, okay, this interaction, I'm over this girl, or if that's the girl that he was talking about, we're not sure. Yeah. And also like she clearly knows he exists, right? She's aware he exists, which is one of the reasons why we're like, is it her? Now he's saying I love you to her, which is bizarre, but like she knows he exists. I also what I think's interesting is that she saw him on her camera, which means that like it showed, that makes me think that law enforcement could have access to the recordings from her doorbell camera. Yes. That seems like basic police work, but like, let's let's make no assumptions with Buckeye. Right. And the thing is, too, the last interaction with her was the day before he disappeared, right? And his friend Roger was saying that he was acting weird the two days. And I wonder if it was due to this text conversation and basically being rejected by this girl that somehow he fell in love with very quickly. Yeah, and let's talk about that that last thing again real quick, right? The world can get better, but I'll have to take all the time I or we can, whatever to name it. I'll either see you again or never see you again. Weird, cryptic. If I got that message, I would be so uncomfortable. Yeah. So interestingly, too, later on, we're going to talk about his sister. But Daniel did mention to his sister, Davisha, the woman that he had been talking to introduced him to a podcast that changed the way he looked at life. And the podcast, quote, showed him how to view things in the world in a positive energy and to avoid negative energy. So Daniel also, he has an Instagram account and his family confirmed that all of the photos were removed a day or two before he went missing. That's bizarre. That's bizarre. That also makes me wonder if, remember how he said, I have to get rid of my story? Maybe all of those pictures had an X in them. Maybe a lot of them did. I don't know. That just made me think of that. What occurred to me is like he deleted his past to like move forward. Yeah. Right. Or like even his life story in general, like how his move, his schooling, his job, like everything about him was kind of on there. At least if you're looking at like, I would guess that his Instagram account was semi like his Facebook account and his Facebook account is private, but you can see some of the pictures. I mean, it seems like a typical guy's Facebook, though, from what I see. I don't know. Yeah. And so one of the people that police spoke with was Luke Joseph Greco. And so he came to visit Daniel the weekend before he disappeared. And he flew home on June 20th of 2021. And during his visit, he stayed with Daniel. And while the two were at a bar, Daniel said he was glad that Luke was there because he'd been feeling really depressed. And the last time Luke heard from him was on June 22nd. Very weird. So let's talk about his sister, Davisha. Sometime during the day of June 22nd, day before he disappeared, he texted his sister that he had an emergency, but didn't answer any of her phone calls back to him. 
That would piss me off. That would. Yeah, exactly. Later that same day, though, they did end up meeting up and Daniel had gone to Waffle House at one point that evening. And the waitress that served Daniel when he went to Waffle House on the 22nd was interviewed and discussed the interaction. Now, interestingly, in the police report, the waitress that served that night remembered him and remembered him on other occasions. So when she was interviewed, she said, although I didn't know him, his demeanor was different. She described him as skittish and that she tried to have a conversation with him, but he really wouldn't talk to her. And he seemed out of it and just off in general. So another thing that his sister mentioned is that at one point before he went missing, he came over to her apartment and just sat there for about 30 minutes and didn't say anything to her. Bizarre. Right. Yeah. And she tried to talk to him and he would just sit there without a response. And then he got up and left. It seems like he was having like multiple times when he was just physically there, but just mentally someplace else. So the day that Daniel went missing, he stopped at a gas station for approximately three minutes and he spent less than four dollars in gas. And Amanda and I had two opposite reactions. She was like, why would anyone be there for that? And I was like, because they're so late for work that the only time they have is those three minutes to get one gallon of gas. Because if you run late like I do, you know that sometimes you don't have time to fill up your tank. You've got to get enough to get where you're going and back. I guess I just feel like living in the desert, if I am stopping at a gas station, I am putting gas in the car because especially during summertime, if you get stuck somewhere, you are screwed. So let's talk a little bit about Daniel's apartment. So it showed no indications that he was intentionally going on a trip. Also, I think this is sweet. Daniel's employer paid his July rent. And then also there were going into a different note. There were multiple searches via aircraft by the search and rescue group from the Civil Air Control on July 9th and 10th, but there were never signs of his Jeep. And speaking of his Jeep, let's get into a little bit about that. Authorities first tried to locate the Jeep using OnStar, and OnStar is in a lot of vehicles, but I guess it was not in this particular model of Jeep for whatever reason. So it had a system called Uconnect. But authorities found when they called them that Daniel had never signed up for the service. So they had asked the Uconnect people, well, like, if we sign up for it, can we locate the vehicle? And they're like, well, yeah, as long as like it hasn't been tampered with and as long as there's electricity to the vehicle. So authorities created an account to get obviously his coordinates to figure it out. And what they received back was pretty much air codes. Yeah. So it did not work. Now, remember, on July 19th, so he went missing in June. In July, July 19th, Daniel's Jeep was found by a fourth generation cattle rancher named Brandon, who knew the area very well. So he said that he had been in the area where Daniel's Jeep was found two days prior to the Jeep being found and didn't see it there. He also said that had it been there, his cows would have been all over it and even specifically said that they're pretty mischievous. And they would have done things like licked the salt off of it, messed with the clothes, tried to steal the case of water from the back. (laughs) And they would have left droppings all around the car and or on the car. So very weird, right? Like, that's a pretty safe thing to say, though. If there's a herd of cattle, which, Lindsay, there are random cows in our desert. That's a thing. What that tells me is that if you want to have your murder scene fucked with, you just put it near cows and that they will just wreak havoc. We used to actually, where I live, there used to be cattle that would come the street over to our house all the time. I do like a visiting cow. 
So I think that makes sense. Like someone that knows the area said, I was here two days ago with my cows. We didn't see this. Yeah. So interestingly, this information of the cattle rancher comes from David and not in the police report. What we see over and over again is folks saying this Jeep may have ended up here, but it wasn't here when he went missing. It ended up here. And interesting. So the private investigator McGrath has a few different theories and notes a few different things. So he says the Jeep wasn't as dirty as it should have been, especially because it was monsoon season. He also said if Daniel was leaving on foot, he probably would have taken some water with him. And it didn't appear that he had. So McGrath also theorizes that the Jeep crashed elsewhere, and he bases this on a few different facts. So he says the first crash is estimated to have happened four hours after Daniel went missing. There was a red transfer of paint on the Jeep's driver's side, which couldn't have come from the desert because there's nothing to get that paint off of. Like, it would have had to have been another vehicle or a building or something, but nothing isn't an option. He also pointed out that the windshield had two impressions as if something was trying to enter the vehicle from the outside in and that the windshield damage doesn't correlate with how the Jeep was found in the ravine. And what's interesting, too, is in the police report, they talk about like, well, maybe it like went into the ravine, bounced back and then ended up on its side. Well, like, would that work? But like, let's just go back and remember that McGrath isn't just a private investigator. He's a private investigator who specializes in like vehicular issues. So right. I kind of believe him more. Same. Also, just to note why we believe him more. He's not on record falsifying data. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I was just going to go out and say he's not Buckeye police, but like, yeah, he's not. He doesn't have anything to benefit <laughs> by being like, this is weird. Can you explain this? But so McGrath also noted that the Jeep traveled 11 miles after the airbags were deployed. And law enforcement attributes that difference to either the wheels spinning while the car was on its side or the car being towed. The second one, maybe, but I would imagine that they would have had to tow the car more than 11 miles. So why would it just be 11 miles? In the police report, too, it does go over the odometer yeah. findings. And at what point did it say what? Like, what finding? Yeah. So interesting, too. So in the police report, it actually listed the items that were found in and around the Jeep. It said jeans that were inside out, which weird. Like, why would he take his jeans off in his truck? Because that, right, when they're inside out, you just took them off. Look, during law school, I, like, always had, like, a mountain of outfits in my car and changed while driving. I mean, I've done that on the way to work before between school and work, but like, okay. Uh, two brown work type boots, a faded orange vest with the company logo, a t-shirt, two socks also inside out. Not three? Not three. A wallet in the pocket of the jeans, a hard hat filled with rainwater because it had been raining during that time, monsoon weather, Samsung Galaxy S10 cell phone, and vehicle and apartment keys, a backpack with Daniel's work laptop, and other documents inside and other miscellaneous items like clothing, a basketball, unopened water bottles, and it just says and a few other items. There's also some other additional notes about the Jeep in the scene. So the Jeep had rain damage on the inside because remember it was found on its side. There was no blood. There was no tracks around the vehicle. There were no empty water bottles in the area. It was still in drive when it was found, which just spitballing here. But if you were going to push a car into a ravine, it would need to be in drive. Mm -hmm. If you were going to push it into a ravine with nobody in it. So I don't know much about cars, but I know that. 
They found some tracks at the top of the hill to the east of the Jeep, and they ran to the east and appeared to have been rained on since they were left, so they were hard to see. They searched the area with trucks, off-road vehicles, a ranger helicopter, and they conducted a low-altitude search. They also had six to seven cadaver and tracking dogs show up and no results. And they did come in contact at one point with a mountain lion, but they don't think that Daniel was attacked by that or a mountain lion in general because the scene would have showed like blood or something like that. Like it could have been washed away, but I feel like there would have been something found. We have a lot of those like that's very common here. That bobcats, all kinds of stuff. Yeah. That area is riddled with all kinds of animals. Yeah. So a few other interesting takeaways that I found during their press conference is the PI mentioned that weeks after evidence was removed from the scene, he found a sock near the ravine and it was sun faded and it matched the socks that had already been collected as evidence and also the socks that he saw at Daniel's apartment. So David's pretty active on social media, like I had mentioned, and he mentioned that Buckeye PD has sent officers to the weekly searches lately. However, they're coming as just them. They're not coming with any requested resources or items or anything. And there's a list that he's posted that he needs to help with the searches and that he's also added, along with the desert search, a city search where they're passing out flyers. And that makes sense. And so David has sent letters to Larry Hall, the chief of police, and he included the areas that need to be searched and revisited, like the vertical mines in the area, areas where certified cadaver dogs alerted, which includes a tree that they alerted to as well. Also areas that still need to be checked with dogs, like the well area. But we actually just saw, as right before we were recording this, that it looks like some of the wells were searched. He asked for a referral from the Buckeye PD so that an organization called First to Deploy can be involved. They have special equipment that could help. He also requested that the FBI get involved. And I feel like this is a a case where if the FBI would help, heck yeah, bring them in. And another reason that he's kind of pushing this is because he said, like, look, another human skull was found in the area. And it shows you that this is the place where people are being murdered. When reading the police report, it explicitly states the DNA testing on the skull shows that it wasn't Daniel's. And also it had been exposed to the sun much longer than Daniel had been missing. Right. So I think that's grounds for FBI to be called, right? Yeah. Another reason that people are talking about is a good reason is during one of the CNN interviews, Chief Hall admitted that it was under suspicious circumstances. This guy, this fucking guy. I mean, obviously this guy's an asshole, but right? Like now he's finally admitting it. He's admitting it on CNN. I watched the interview too. It's not like he said, this is under suspicious circumstances. He like agreed with the anchor, I want to say. Like, yeah, it could be suspicious. Yeah. I'm glad it's on CNN. I'm glad his disappearance is getting coverage. Yeah, finally. Now, on December 13th, David posted on Twitter that after sending a request to Chief Hall to attend the case briefing with the FBI that went unanswered, I received a call from Buckeye saying that the FBI would not take my son's case because, quote, I am doing such a great job as a father searching. We don't need them. Unbelievable. Just go ahead and fuck right off. That's so backwards. Like everyone's like, eh, you got this. No, you shouldn't have to fight for your child to be looked for when they're missing. No. And David doesn't live in Arizona. He is staying here orchestrating these searches. I just got a text last night about the search coming up with a list of things that they need. It's just it's heartbreaking. 
On January 19th, David did get an email from Lieutenant Angel informing him that they were working on getting equipment and resources. So remember how I said they were showing up, but they weren't showing up with anything. So he's hoping that the search that's coming up will include them bringing things. Yeah. And then just as another note, I know we've kind of brought it up, but the P.I. McGrath, he's noted that he has tried to explain some of his findings to the Buckeye Police Department and that they've brushed him off. Yeah. So it's like, I want all of these people on the same page and I wish that they would take the resources from one another and run with it and be like, okay, what have you found out? Great. We found this out. Let's work together. But instead, they're like, that doesn't match our findings. Goodbye. Or that doesn't mean this is closed. Because here's my thing is like, it doesn't even seem like they're like, this doesn't match our findings. It's like they look at it and go, "Mm, we don't want it to be that. And then just kind of move on. Frankly, it doesn't seem like their rebuttals are based in science or reasonable conclusions. So it's a little bit frustrating. The only thing that I I do like raise my eyebrows a little bit about is in the initial descriptions of the Jeep, they don't talk about the red transfer paint. No. And I do wonder if that happened when it was towed to a place to exist. They're still not looking at this as a homicide. Originally, they were looking at it like... Mm, he's an adult and he's missing. He could have left on his own. So I don't think that they were taking the custody of that vehicle with the utmost care. So I could see them like scraping it against something on accident. That's true. And then not saying anything. That's a possibility. I don't know if he was going off of initial pictures or if that was when he did his own investigation. However, I will say the one thing after reading the giant police report is I don't think that they're doing enough. I want to start with that. They're not doing enough. They're not giving the resources that are needed to truly do continual searches. But I will say I feel like they've done more than I thought that they had done a month ago. That's true. They have. Knowing that they reached out for people to help search via air, right? Helicopters, things like that. The fact that they have interviewed more people than I thought that they had. I feel like there's a little bit more, but still it's not enough. It's not good enough, but there is some. But when you compare this to Jelani's case... Yes. Jelani deserves justice. There is no doubt in my mind about that. They have a task force to help solve his murder. Mm -hmm. What if we could have a task force to help find Daniel? Because we don't even know what happened to him. He could be alive somewhere. Hopefully. Yeah. And that area is a really tricky area. Just desert all around here is very weird because when we are in monsoon season, it does flood, right? Like there's a lot that happens in the desert that you don't really think about. Before I moved, especially out here more in the desert than I used to live, I didn't realize the amount of flooding that we had because of monsoons in Phoenix and Scottsdale, all the other places I've lived. It's so densely populated and so well controlled. You don't really think about it. Yeah. But out where I am now on the west side, like it's it's a thing. So like if it's monsoon season and something happened to him and let's say he did die, it's not out of the scope that his body could have been moved somewhere if there's that much water, depending on like what was happening in this ravine. But then on the other side of it, I do think the cattle rancher not seeing it two days prior is very strange. So it's like I have a thousand questions that come up every time I look at this case. Yeah, I agree. Things just don't add up in a way where there's a simple result. So it's kind of hard to have any idea of what's going on. So that wraps up all of the new information that we have on Daniel's case. Be sure to follow us on social media. You can find all our handles on the outro and we'll have more updates as they're happening. We'll also include a link in our show notes to the website that Daniel's father, David, has made. We'll also continue covering Daniel's case in our True Crime Digest updates. And with that, have a great weekend. Thanks for creeping with us. Thanks for listening. 
For more information on our sources, please visit our website, truecreeps.com. If you'd like to follow us on social media, you can follow us on Instagram at truecreepspod, on Facebook at facebook.com slash truecreepspod, and on Twitter at truecreeps. We'd love for you to keep creeping with us. So if you like this episode, please subscribe, rate, review, and share the show with your fellow creeps. 